Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties, pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information. It leads me to another question. And I don't know if the answer is out there. If not, that's okay. Maybe it's something else for the people in your realm of science to take a look at. What is a possibility, or is it already a possibility, to take the technology that you already have with a monitor, whether it's dissolvable or, or not, and actually using data with a capital D to be able to sense that something's going on. Let's just say, for instance, something's going on with the heart. The, the patient might be going into AFib, for instance, and it could almost be ready for when that AFib hits to be able to do its thing, you know, to be able to, to help stabilize the heart, get it back to a, a regular sinus rhythm. So is that technology, is there a, is a technology out there that can then be put into these implantables? Or is this something that's still another decade or so off? Well, the, the ideas are out there. Yes, you're absolutely right. And actually, that's exactly what we're working on, what you just mentioned. However, it will take, I, I think, not less than 10 years from, from now. I'll, I'll just give you several examples of that. For instance, um, a number of years ago, Tronic developed a very interesting device called uh, Reveal, Reveal Link. This is a, an implantable device, or we call it injectable device. Basically, you insert it on the skin of the patient above the heart. And this device addressed an unmet need for doing exactly what you mentioned, namely to essentially catch very rare events which could be devastating, such as, for example, onset of atrial fibrillation or uh, some other arrhythmias like ventricular arrhythmias, which are life-threatening. And in particular, why is it important is that these types of arrhythmias start as very exceedingly rare events. It could be that just once a year and only could last a few seconds. Patient perhaps doesn't even notice it, but nevertheless, they could be deadly. 
if, if uh, they are untreated, unnoticed, they could lead to sudden cardiac death, for example. And previous technology, which was designed to, to measure catch such rare events, it was called Holter Monitor. It was a 50, 60 years old technology, which basically was one of the first wearable electronics approaches, uh, which consisted of a, a large box, approximately size of, I don't know, CD player. I don't know if you remember those, uh, mm -hmm. which you put on your belt. And then you connect four electrodes to your chest, and you measure basically electrocardiogram. But you can imagine that such bulky and very inconvenient device, very hard to, to wear and walk around with it. So basically recordings were limited to approximately 48 to 72 hours only. And unfortunately, like I said, since the events of such arrhythmias could be exceedingly rare, could be once in months and months or even a year, with 72 hours of recordings, it's very unlikely that you will actually capture it. And in many cases, they fail to capture the arrhythmia. So Medtronic basically come up with the idea that what if we inject such device in, under the skin and it will be recording electrocardiogram and I, I believe up to 48 months. So it has a battery and, and it can communicate also with the receiver. And when it catches such a rare event, it will recognize it using computer algorithm and then it will send it to the physician's desk to basically inform physician that arrhythmia was caught and now can be analyzed and the physician can diagnose it and then treat it appropriately. But again, this device, as you might imagine, requires, first of all, injection or implantation, and second, after the battery runs out, you have to remove it again surgically. So what I think bioresorbable transient electronics technology would deliver, finally, you can actually make such devices bioresorbable. So you can make device which serves appropriate amount of time. It could be days or could be months, and I envision could be even years. Uh, and then after it's no longer needed, it will dissolve, so you don't need to actually remove it surgically. And I think that such devices will be ubiquitous, so they will be basically routinely implanted after various major procedures. For example, after major heart surgery. Any, any heart surgery, for instance, has a 30% chance for the patient to develop atrial fibrillation after heart surgery, any kind of surgery. It could be valve replacement, it could be cabbage, coronary artery bypass graft. 30% of patients will develop atrial fibrillation. So therefore, as you, as you anticipated in your question, we are working on developing a bioresorbable defibrillator, basically a heart monitor, which will be placed by the surgeon after surgery on the atria of the patient. It will monitor atria after surgery Again, fortunately, this condition only lasts for about 10 days. This is essentially the vulnerable period of time. After that, it's no longer needed. For those 10 days, our device can, can search for arrhythmia. If arrhythmia develops, it will terminate. The atrial fibrillation will be terminated, preventing deterioration and development of persistent atrial fibrillation, which is a very dangerous condition. And that's one of the applications I'm excited about in particular and working on it right now. But thanks for a great it, it, question. I really got that from thinking about just your AEDs that are very commonplace out in society now. That somebody you see somebody laying down, you know, and like, did they are they, you know, you're checking if they're breathing, you know, do you begin CPR? And it's the whole technology now of just the AED, just just, but that's putting a patch over two distinct areas on the chest, and then the machine reads what's going on and tells you if it's going to do a shock or not. So a lot of that's where my thought came from is that. That technology is already out there in the public. How do we put that into 
this technology that you're working on, because I thought that would be fantastic. In that line of thinking, when we take a look at particularly the arrhythmias, are there any other people doing research and taking a look at the actual status of the blood flow to the walls of the heart? Where you know, we're to talk about plaque buildup, atherosclerosis, whatever you want to term that. Is there some movement in the research world to have that monitored as well by these particular type of devices? Because you had talked about using light. So we should be able to pick up blood flow going through the, the cardiac blood vessels. Is that something that's being worked on right now? Not necessarily where you're at, but it, your colleagues that you meet with occasionally and go to conferences. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is actually an emergent field, and a number of groups are working on it. Our group included, our center is also there. Basically, optically, electrically, mechanically, uh, with various sensors, you can actually sense a lot of information about blood, not just flow. Flow is one. You can do Doppler measurements or, or impedance measurements. You can also measure oxygenation, of course, with commonly used photoplasmography which is now used as a little device you put on your finger, but it can be, of course, instrumented also on an implantable or catheter-based device. And various other sensors we are working on. For example, we just received an NIH grant with my collaborator, Shane Kelly from Northwestern University. She is an expert in developing single molecule sensors. So, for instance, if someone had an infectious disease, or had an intervention like surgery, there is a chance that such patient will have a, a surge of inflammatory cytokines. For instance, you might, might have heard that during COVID, we, we talked about the cytokine storm, which is basically a response of, of our immune system to invasion of pathogens such as COVID virus. And uh, there are a number of those molecular beacons, molecular markers of inflammation, and we can develop sensors for that. And these sensors can also be instrumented on on our device. So basically, our new NIH grant is to develop such sensors with uh, Dr. Kelly's lab, and then put them on an implantable device. And this device can be essentially implanted after heart surgery, and we can follow the patient after heart surgery to see how this inflammatory response develops and how it subsides after the surgery, because that's what, what very important part to a reduction of inflammation after the surgery, which, as I already mentioned, could lead to AV block, atrial fibrillation, which, which are transient phenomena, but they appear to be related to this essentially storm of cytokines, which are responsible for inflammatory response of the, of the immune system. Yeah, that's also very fascinating, too, I, because cardiac disease is so prevalent, not only here in the United States, but worldwide. We take a look at it as, you know, the huge amount of not only problematic, but deaths, you know, so many Americans dying every year because of that. Can we pick this up at an earlier phase where we have a more successful treatment outcome? And I think that's really important. I, I know from my perspective, I have a cardiac patient that comes in and I'm, I'm treating them for a musculoskeletal issue that we're going to need to start moving into doing exercising. Boy, it'd be really nice if I had some way of knowing like, what, yeah, what is the, the perfusion through the heart? So we can pace them back into an exercise routine that then they can carry on at home safely without putting them into risk of having any cardiac issues going on. So, I mean, for me, that's a very exciting to hear all of this about 
what's going on with monitoring of the heart and to actually being able to, like you said, with the pacemaker, shock it back into a normal rhythm. And I, I think that's something that is, uh, we'd love to have had that many years ago, but you know, we in the medical field understand that in research, it does take a long time and that we need to be patient, just like we expect our patients to be patient with the, the interventions that we do with them. So I think all of this, Dr. Efimov, is just, it's almost hard to believe. It almost seems like science fiction uh, when you step back and look at this. I know younger generation of viewers out there are probably laughing about that. But, uh, you know, my generation, these were the things that we took a look at. It was the Dick Tracy watch. It was, you know, these other things that popped up in shows or cartoons that you look at and go, oh, that's neat. You know, that's, that's something that, you know, it's out of the Jetsons cartoon. Uh, and but you don't realize that this stuff is happening now, and and, it, and that's why I want I like to get this information out of my podcast because this is very exciting, and I want people to understand that the technology is moving along very quickly. But we have researchers like you who are moving just as fast with it because you realize the potential, and like you said, if we can get out and save lives, that's what it's all about. It's it's a, a huge venture, and it's a wonderful humanitarian venture to be able to use your skills and your knowledge to be able to put this out. And I'm going to, you've touched on that a little bit, but I'm going to ask you the last question that I ask all my very special guests. This particular field of implantables that you're in, where do you see it in five years? Well, I think that major breakthrough will come from actually integrating machine learning, artificial intelligence in these devices and also tie throughput uh, by interfaces. So currently in the field of cardiology or neurology, we have a number of very successful implantable devices. We all know about cardiac pacemakers. We all know about deep brain stimulation for a number of uh, indications. Of course, defibrillators, implantable cardioverter defibrillators. But one common feature of these devices, and in my opinion, it's a limitation, is that they have very few electrodes. So if pacemaker typically has only one electrode or two electrodes. Defibrillator only has one electrode. So basically these are, from engineering standpoint, devices which have low resolution. They receive information from very few, few inputs. You, we really need to understand the arrhythmia, understand the progression of heart failure or looking at perfusion, like I said, abnormalities due to, for example, coronary disease. We need many, many channels of data. And that's essentially what new generation of devices will be about. So we'll have, instead of one, two, five sensors, we'll have hundreds of thousands of sensors. And then the challenge to deal with such number of sensors is how to do actually process such amount of information. So simple calculations on the napkin will show that you don't have the bandwidth, the speed of data transfer to take all this data at high speed, uh, carry it out wirelessly from the device to some mainframe computer, and then you know make calculations and put the therapeutic strategy back into device. There is just not enough speed to do that. It has to be built-in computation, and it has to be distributed computation. So we are now working on developing essentially a tiny, tiny microchips, which will be integrated with each sensor, which is which each electrode, and we'll have hundreds of them. And each of those tiny microchips will be able to process information recorded directly from the heart and make decisions and instruct same electrodes to stimulate at appropriate time, appropriate phase of electrical activity to terminate, for example, arrhythmia or restore normal heartbeat. 
but this will require application of advanced machine learning or artificial intelligence algorithms we are developing it we just received a new patent on that and that's where i think the next big breakthrough will come from uh, and not only in cardiac field of course it will be in, in skeletal muscle biology physiology and medicine and, and of course brain and digestive system and on and on wow that's an exciting five years coming up can't wait for it to to get here yeah, a lot of people are probably very excited about that as well well dr efimov i want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to come on the podcast and share revolutionary work that you and your colleagues are doing at Northwestern University. And I want to applaud everybody there on your team and all the other teams that you interact with for taking these steps to improve the quality of life for people that otherwise probably wouldn't have much of a quality of life. So kudos to everybody there on your teams that are doing such a wonderful job. And I want to extend the invitation too that the next breakthrough that you have uh, research-wise, please Drop me an email and I'll have you back on the show because I really like to keep people out there aware of what's happening, what's going on in the laboratories and universities around the world that could impact the quality of life several years from now. Because we know it does take a while to get out. It is a slower process, but indeed it does work out into the regular market at some point in time. So again, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you, Jeff, for your kind invitation. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think you're absolutely right that, you know, especially in the area of also exercise, uh, it's very, very important to be able to monitor heart during especially strenuous exercise because, unfortunately, exercise, it's, it's good for you, of course, but too much exercise could be actually bad for you. And, mm -hmm. for instance, strenuous exercise has been associated with increased likelihood of developing atrial fibrillation. And a recent paper from European Heart Journal showed that strenuous exercise, again, could lead to coronary disease as compared to just generally healthy people. So having such monitors for those who are serious about their exercise routine would be very important to basically put some limit to, to, to too much exercise. And I think variable electronics will be very important in that. Well, thank you again. And you have a good rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Are you a startup, wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. Hey, if you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website 
www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.